This episode of Awards Chatter is brought to you by Universal Television, presenting Girls 5 Eva. Girls 5 Eva follows a one-hit wonder 90s girl group who attempts a comeback while hilariously navigating family and relationships, plus the joys and pains of middle age. The show stars Sarah Bareilles, Renee Elise Goldsbury, Paula Pell, and Busy Phillips. Don't miss the series critics call the funniest show on television. Girls 5 Eva is now streaming on Netflix and is for your Emmy consideration for Outstanding Comedy Series and all other eligible categories. Lucky Land Casino, asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hi, everyone, and thank you for tuning in to the 208th episode of Awards Chatter, the Hollywood Reporters Awards podcast. I'm the host, Scott Feinberg, and my guest today for our first post-90th Oscars installment is one of the most colorful characters in the history of Hollywood. He's a mysterious figure in the vein of Greta Garbo. He wrote, directed, produced, and starred in what has been called the Citizen Kane of bad movies, 2003's The Room, and he was at the center of two hilarious accounts of the making of that film, Greg Sestero's 2013 memoir, The Disaster Artist, My Life Inside the Room, the greatest bad movie ever made, which was co-written by Tom Bissell, and James Franco's 2017 dramedy film, The Disaster Artist, in which Franco played him en route to winning a Golden Globe Award. I'm talking about The Disaster Artist himself, Mr. Tommy Wiseau. With the DVD and Blu-ray of The Disaster Artist hitting shelves on March 13th, now seemed like as great a time as any to sit down with Wiseau and try to get a better grasp on who he is, where he comes from, what led to and actually happened during the making of The Room, how he feels about the book and film The Disaster Artist, and why he and Cicero have reunited on another film, Best Friends, which is due out on September 30th. To me, it was a fun and funny, often confounding, and surprisingly moving conversation, and I hope you'll agree. But first, I sat down at the offices of The Hollywood Reporter with our editorial director, Matt Bellany, to recap and dissect the 90th Oscar ceremony. Matt, we are finally through it. How you I, I just figured we would be sitting there for eternity, <laughs> and never they would never let us out. That's why they gave us the lunchboxes. Yes. Is that there was, we were all going to be confined there for weeks and weeks as they just continued to show montage after montage. <laughs> well, the season itself sometimes feels that way. It goes on and on for at least six months. You know, if you start at Telluride, you could even go even further back to Cannes. What's the big takeaway, though, from the show that supposedly acknowledges the best of all of that? I think, you know, from a show perspective, the, the politics, just the relentless politics on stage, in the montages, in the acceptance speeches, some people love it, some people hate it. You know, I sort of am in the middle. I understand why people do it. I understand that especially this year with that giant elephant in the room, Kimmel had to address it right off the bat. He did a great job. He was really funny and kind of tone appropriate. But for some people, the, the politics just becomes overwhelming. And, you know, it's an award show. It's supposed to be fun. For sure. And what about the way it was run? What Did you feel it was in any way more efficient than last year? Obviously, the envelope dominated the coverage of last right. year. But we do have the same 
host, Jimmy Kimmel, the same director, Glenn Weiss, the same producers, Michael DeLuca and Jennifer Tide, the same stage manager, you know, yeah. Gary Natoli. As a show, you think it was it was too long, but was that is there any way around that when you have twenty four categories that you have to the, the Oscars will forever suffer from the same problem mm-hmm. until they get rid of the categories people don't care about. Mm-hmm. It's just there's nothing around it. You could have the most entertaining show possible, but there will be that hour, hour and a half where it's award after award of things people don't care about. And you know, I'm in the industry mm-hmm. and I'm getting bored by the live action short acceptance <laughs> speech. Like I can't even imagine someone tuning in, you know, with all the entertainment options that are available these days. People just aren't going to sit for that. But I guess just judging these guys based on what they accomplished within the confines of what they had to work with, where you do have to build it around those 24 categories, there were quite a few memorable moments. I would just bring up First of all, a ton of popular winners. We had so many standing ovations from from James Ivory at 89, becoming the oldest ever winner for the adapted screenplay of Call Me By Your Name, to Guillermo del Toro for Best Director, to Gary Oldman for Best Actor, and on and on and on. Do you think that it translated to television just the sense that people were actually excited about the results? Maybe. I don't know. I don't know those people that you just cited are people that move the needle when it comes to television audiences. Right. There was no Jennifer Lawrence. Right. You know, there was no big populist movie star. I guess Allison Janney might be the most popular <laughs> person just because she's been around for right. a while and has a TV show and, you know, is known. But there weren't those people that are just industry icons. And they did their best, I think. Right. The montages, I think, were designed to get around the fact that most people hadn't seen the movies that were up for the awards. Right. So the thinking is probably... If you haven't seen these nominated movies, well, you've seen these movies. Right. Here's, you know, right. movies everybody's seen, or you've seen one or two of the movies in this montage. And that's probably smart, you know, brings more people in. But most of these movies are just not the kind of big populist movies that people care about. Well, to your point about recognizing that many in the public have not seen these movies, the only ones that really made a lot of money were Dunkirk and Get Out uh, of the Best Picture nominees. I've never seen such lengthy clips preceding Best Picture, which just gave Warren Beatty and Faye Dunaway more time to get nervous on stage after they came out to introduce those clips, but before they announced the winner again. Well, but that not that just because they didn't do the traditional every movie gets a presentation thing during the show? It could be, and it, I, I guess it makes sense. Like, if you've stuck around that long, you're not going to not wait. Yeah, it seemed, what I've never understood from past Oscar shows is when it gets bloated and long, they rush the ending which is the only thing that people, yeah, care, people about. care about. I mean, I, I've watched the Oscars years where best actor and actress is just like, oh, here we are. Here's best actor and get off the stage. And it's right. like, really, this is what we're right, right. tuning in for. So they, I think at some point they just said, you know what? It's long. We're just going to go with it. Right. Play another montage. Right. Get another you know, clip show up there for the actors. It was fine. They had to obviously reference what happened last year with the envelope at the 89th. And we knew in advance that Warren and Faye were coming back, as was Jimmy as were those other people I mentioned. I also saw Jordan Horowitz, the hero of last year's Oscars. Do you think they struck the right balance of acknowledging and kind of laughing about it, but not dwelling upon it? Probably. I think there's a certain segment of the industry that would have liked to see Moonlight get a moment, you know, maybe acknowledge them in the crowd or do something to give them the the speech that they never had, something like that. 
I don't think Barry Jenkins was even there. No, I think he's actually, I believe, in production. But I know Mahershala was there. Mm-hmm. I, they could have done something. You're, you're maybe, right. or yeah. maybe a, a clip package, or maybe they did. They could have done something creative where right. they, you know, they each said, you know, five words of an right. acceptance speech right. or something like that. Right. But they seem to have made a choice to put the focus of the show on this year's nominees and winners. Now, right. you know, to the extent that they could have acknowledged. I don't know. So let's get into the actual results. The big winner, of course, was The Shape of Water for Best Picture. It topped eight other nominees for Best Picture with a preferential ballot, which is is something that is only used at the Producers Guild Awards and the Oscars. And it's intended to pick a winner or to result in a winner that everybody at least likes. And so there was some thought that maybe a movie about a romance between a mute woman and a fish man would be more divisive than... Some of these others, three billboards, or or some others we could name, but in the end, it prevailed. And I just wonder if you have any theory about why that was. I think that of of all the movies, it's the one that seemed, ironically, given the subject matter, the safest mm-hmm. and the most traditional. It's yes, it's a fishman movie, but it's really a romance. Yeah. It's an unconventional Beauty and the Beast story. Mm-hmm. So it seemed ultimately to me like the most traditional safe choice Mm -hmm. the director is someone who's an established hollywood figure who's been around a long time who worked the circuit like nobody's business right and you know then people if they didn't put it one they probably put it two or three and he was definitely winning best director so there's even though there's been splits in the last few years there's a reluctance i think for most people to split up picture and director it doesn't make sense that the yeah although it's happened the last last few years years. and then people think it's because of the preferential ballot maybe And, and you know I actually thought that this last-minute surge for Get Out mm-hmm. might get it in there. Mm-hmm. I think when people look back on this year, they may say that Get Out was the movie of the year mm-hmm. considering the subject matter and the moment we're in, and I thought that would translate to people putting it two or three, if they even if they didn't love it. It's interesting how they now all, I think because of the the kind of coverage that we do at The Reporter and other places, you know, leading up to the Oscars, we're all trying to figure out what's the movie of the moment and assuming, based on history, that that's something that that is an advantage to be. And each of them sort of had a claim to that. You had three billboards ostensibly captures the rage that a lot of people feel about the system letting them down at the moment. You have Get Out about the racial tensions in the country right now. You have Lady Bird sort of capturing the moment of female empowerment that we're, we're starting upon. But Shape of Water, in a way, as you say, it could sort of be interpreted as a, a movie for so many different people because it's really about just a band of outsiders who survive in spite of yeah. oppression, right? I mean, that's what I, that's the takeaway I got from reading your Brutally Honest Ballads, my favorite thing. <laughs> Besides the people being you know, somewhat out of touch yes. with the mainstream, they seem to come back to this notion of a universal theme in Shape of Water. My question for you is, yeah. you know, I am surprised that in this year when there's so much of attention on women's issues and mm-hmm. things in the industry that have been exposed, why didn't Lady Bird do better? It's tough. I mean, I think it's a really nice, well-made movie, but there aren't a ton of precedents for that sort of a movie doing well at the Oscars. You could argue that's not a, a fair thing because it. I guess it I mean, is. Like a, a, I mean, it's a kind of a comedy. It's kind of a comedy. It's also a very female-centric movie, and you don't have very many female-centric movies that have won Best Picture. We'd have to go to, like, Million Dollar Baby, and then you go back even very, very few over the years. And that doesn't, I'm not saying that's a, a good thing or a fair thing, but the reality is the Academy is still something like 80% male. And I think men just don't 
tap into that story as much as women. But I don't think it really got robbed anywhere if you look at where it was nominated. It was nominated for actress. So Sersha, who's young and, you know, on the rise, lost to Frances McDormand, who right. won everything everywhere. So I think there was a consensus. I thought it might have gotten screenplay. Yeah, original screenplay. And, and it did at the Spirit Awards on Saturday. But I think there was a concern among a lot of voters that they better take care of Get Out an original screenplay mm-hmm. because if it doesn't win picture as it ended up not you don't want that movie which i think people connected with even more to go home empty-handed but laurie metcalf i think probably gave alice and janney a good run for her money and yeah. supporting actors it's interesting but i mean greta gerwig has come out of this year with as much of a career boost i think as anybody oh, right? i mean i've already i'm already hearing there will be a bidding war for her next movie really? because not only did Lady Bird crack the awards race, but it also did really well at the box office. Yeah. And it's it's definitely a, a new filmmaking voice that yeah. people are really interested to see what her next project will be. Well, it's also kind of interesting that each of these Best Picture nominees faced a, a daunting statistic that was gonna they were going to have to defy in order to, to win. And the one that went down is one that we've been obsessing over for 22 years, which is you don't win Best Picture if you're not at least nominated for the Best Ensemble SAG Award. Gravity couldn't overcome that. The Revenant couldn't overcome that. Even La La Land, that was the only stat that really suggested La La Land would have a problem last year, and it turned out to hold up. So this year, The Shape of Water was not nominated for Best Ensemble, but it did end up getting three acting nominations at the Oscars. So it seemed to me like that stat might just be one of these weird coincidences and there shouldn't be a you know the reason people thought it was causal is that the biggest segment of the academy was composed of actors and if actors had some sort of a reservation about the movie based on what we saw at sag they weren't behind it but i mean if you give it three nominations for acting that seems like a moot point it's a little schizophrenic yeah yeah you know these stats better than i do but i think that a lot of people are questioning these tried and true assumptions Mm -hmm. about the academy and just because of the shakeup over the past few years, there's so many new members right. that it's hard to predict how they're going to act. Very and much, yeah. maybe Shape of Water came on with late momentum because people watched it later, you know, or because they looked at the, you know, at the landscape and other movies had fallen away by the time they voted. Who knows? And also the Academy. Everybody pays attention to the fact that it's gotten more diverse in terms of race and gender. But what they forget is that it's also exponentially more diverse now in terms of international, you know, location of members. And so you have for the last four out of the last five years, a Mexican filmmaker has won Best Director, Guillermo del Toro this year. And I think that just maybe internationally, a movie like that, which by the way, there's not much dialogue, which I think helps a movie play internationally. There are universal themes. And then you have a filmmaker who is outside of America himself. I don't know. I mean, it's just... Maybe, yeah, but it's, you know, but it's a very American story in the sense it's, you know, 1960s yeah. Baltimore and there's this whole looming CIA presence in right, the movie. Right, right, uh, I don't, I don't know about that. These filmmakers that have won over the past few years, yes, they're Mexican filmmakers, but they are universal stories. I mean, Gravity is not a Mexican film in, in the sense that there's, it's an international space station right. movie starring two of the biggest stars in America and the world. You know, I just think they just happen to be great filmmakers, right. you know? Well, I know that the response last night on Twitter was Trump. Up. Apparently they are sending their best to, to the U.S. because they've won four of the last five. But another kind of notable thing this year that was something the Academy was worried about a few years ago was just would they have diverse nominees and winners? And as it turned out, 
obviously it can always be more diverse and there's room for improvement, but Jordan Peele won Best Original Screenplay, and I've never seen a crowd get on their feet faster for a standing ovation than when he won. And you had actually a fairly diverse group of nominees this year. Nominees, but in acting, it's four white people four that white won. People, right. But, but I think because of the inroads that have been were made in the nominations, having a female and an African American director nominee, I think, was a big deal and yes. got a lot got a lot of attention and the fact that, that there was diversity in those acting nominations right. that took the sting away from the all white winners. Right. And I guess just a quick note for Oscar geeks listening, Roger Deakins, you can celebrate is now no longer perennial Oscar bridesmaid, Roger Deakins, but finally on his 14th nomination, Oscar winner, Roger Deakins, best cinematography. You also had Gary Oldman finally winning his first in the category of best actor and James Ivory at 89, the oldest person ever to win an Oscar. He would have been one up by a week by Agnes Varda had she won Best Documentary Feature for Faces Places, but she went down to Icarus, which marked a big win for Netflix. That was Yeah, a- that was probably Netflix's most high-profile Oscar win ever. Definitely. Um, they are very aggressive in campaigning their films, and they have not cracked that Best Picture right. nomination, which I think has been their goal, but for Icarus to win somewhat of an upset, but I, I actually picked it in my, yeah. my office pool yeah. because I figured, you know, the voting was going on during the winter Olympics right. and Russia was not participating <laughs> because, because yeah, right. of what happened with this movie. Right. So I think the documentary race tends to hinge on, in my opinion, mm-hmm. the relevance of the movie in the larger culture. Often, yeah. And I think this movie was that. Let's talk about what, everyone else is talking about today, this morning after, where, again, most of these movies were not widely seen by the general public, so I'm not even sure they're focused on who won and who lost as much as other storylines from last night, one of them being a theft. You know, there was no missing wrong envelope this year, but there is something else that that went missing. Maybe you can catch listeners up. When the show ended and everything was smooth, I was thinking, okay, you know, a little bit of a bummer. There's no controversy this year. Then lo and behold, someone (laughs) tries to steal Francis McDormand's Oscar uh, at the governor's ball. We're just learning a little bit more about this guy, but apparently she put it down on the table. He just went and grabbed it and then made a Facebook video (laughs) of himself carousing around the governor's ball with Francis McDormand's Oscar. And we know his name, but we don't know how he got in there yet. Yeah, we do not know how he got in, but you can't expect to get away with that. No, it's the dumbest. What are you going to pawn it? I mean, there is, and there is so much media there that every corner of the governor's ball is being recorded. It's all journalists. You know, you can't leave that front door without a a whole crew of cameras (laughs) catching every move. I don't know what you think you're doing by doing that. Well, Unless you just want to be famous, right. which he is. Yeah, he's uh, he and the streaker from many decades ago, he'll, they'll go down together in infamy. But I, I know we're not even waiting a year as we did with Envelope Gate to do an oral history on this one. I think we've got no, one No, we'll coming. do that today, I think, because <laughs> I'm very curious how this guy ended up getting this Oscar and right. how they ended up getting it back to her and right. how they caught him, the whole thing. Well, other things people are talking about today include the whole Me Too angle of the ceremony, even the red carpet. There's a bit of debate going on about how things were handled by both media on the red carpet and also inside a couple of the winners. What are you hearing about that? I think the Seacrest thing on the red carpet with Ryan Seacrest was the most talked about moment, just to see what stars would do with him. And it seems that stars did talk to him, not as many as normal. Mm -hmm. 
And E kind of tempered that by putting Juliana Rancic and a couple other people forward more, and they they had more taped stuff, and they had yeah. you know they they didn't put the focus on Seacrest as much as they usually do. But Allison Janney talked mm -hmm. to him, and you know Christopher Plummer and a bunch of other people talked to him. You know what happened with Taraji P Henson? I've heard there was some kind of a she interaction. clarified. It sounded like she was kind of throwing shade on him, but then she clarified that she wasn't and. It's just the most awkward situation for everyone involved yeah. because E, they did an investigation. They cleared him. So if they were to have pulled him from the red carpet, they would have essentially been saying our investigation that we touted so highly was faulty. Yeah. But then again, you then put this guy out there on the red carpet in a live TV situation where anyone could say anything to him and have it blow up. So they put a 30 second delay on they, it, right? They, yeah, they, they were claiming that was normal, but who knows? <laughs> I guess it's probably considered a win for E that nothing exploded on the red carpet. No one directly called him out. No one, you know. Well, he had to kind of show up. If he didn't show up for this, it's almost like acknowledging that you've done something wrong. It's the same to me as James Franco showing up at the SAG Awards. This one even more so because it sounds like Franco probably acknowledges that he did some things wrong. Well, I don't wrong. know that he's done that. But the analogy I make is the yeah. Casey Affleck situation. Yeah. Casey Affleck has maintained throughout all this that he, yes, he settled a sexual harassment claim years ago. Mm -hmm. He admitted no wrongdoing, and there's a settlement that prevents him from talking about mm -hmm. it. So should he have come to the Oscars to present? He says he didn't do anything wrong. Right. So he and his team made yeah. the decision that for him to have showed up would have drawn attention to him and sidetracked and hijacked attention from the other nominees. But That's so their will, position. So will anything he ever does again. So is he yeah. going to... You either are packing it in or you keep doing what you would normally do, I would think. Yeah, I mean, I, I think their thinking is that this may die down or the focus will be on others. I mean, the Oscars is a pretty powerful platform and there's a lot of symbolism that goes on with it. Him acting in movies and doing press and other things like that is different yeah. from him getting up there and presenting an award to a woman, which is what they wanted him to do. And he would have been giving it to Francis McDormand, who right. might have deballed him on stage. Yes, exactly. And I think his team took one look at that situation and said, you know what, we're, we're not, not going to do it. this. Yeah. We're not going to, you know. And he was able to say... I want to avoid becoming a distraction. I don't want mm -hmm. to, you know, take attention away from the nominees, that kind of thing, without admitting any guilt. That's interesting, though, because on a night when, of course, this this stuff was going on and being discussed, there was the Seacrest stuff, the Casey Affleck stuff. Then inside, you know, they brought out three of Harvey's victims, survivors. I don't know, actually, in that case, that the audience really, too many people in the audience knew what the commonality was between Salma Hayek Ashley Judd and Annabella Shara because there wasn't much of a reaction when they were introduced in the theater. People were kind of still chattering as they came back from break, and there wasn't the big applause that I think that moment was designed to But didn't engender. they introduce the Time's Up montage thing? Sure, but when they came out on stage, nobody reacted. Mm. And I think that was intended to be, a, you know, here they are, and, right, and, I, right, and right. nobody had any idea what was going on. So that was, a, I know, a topic of discussion as was the fact that with when they performed stand up or something the song nominee and they put 10 activists on stage including the woman who started me too they were never introduced by name right. or by I was graphic watching. i had no idea i who had those no idea were. except for her and later i was told the little girl was i think a survivor of aleppo and different other people but it was a little weird and i know there were people pissed off online or saying don't use them just as props like let, let's find out right. who these people are right 
Yeah, there were a number of times during the show where they didn't introduce people. The military guy also. West Duty. West yeah. Duty, who I don't even know. And he got up there talking all about his military yeah. service yeah. and all this stuff. And I was like, who is that? Yeah, nobody no, nobody could tell. And a number of the presenters, I mean, if you had seen the movie, it would have made sense. But Dave Chappelle. Dave Chappelle was not introduced. So I was sitting there and people were like, who is that? I said, oh, it's Dave Chappelle. But if you're watching at home and you don't know Dave Chappelle, you don't necessarily know who that is and but why also, he's introducing that song. How about, I believe, the guy that introduced Remember Me, yes. Eugenio yeah. Derbez. I, I maybe should have immediately he's known a, who he he's was. He's a star in Mexico, in Mexico, and he's in the new Overboard movie with yeah. Anna Faris. Yeah. And he's in the Disney Nutcracker movie, apparently. But yeah. If you didn't know him, yeah. you would not have known why he was there. I guess it's in some ways throwing a bone to the international. They're trying to offer people all around the world a reason to tune in. Yeah, they in. do that often. Yeah. They, they have a lot. They usually have a lot of international stars, yeah. but they usually introduce them right. yeah. and explain some why. Context, yeah. You know, from Crouching Tiger, Hidden right. Dragon, here's Michelle Yeoh, right. and like something like that. You know. Right. Well, back to me too, though. For a second, there are a number of people who were saying that in in some ways there was one step forward and then two steps backwards last night because at the same time all of this discussion was given to progress and you know we need to be better and we're working on it and all that there were people who took issue with then giving oscars to gary oldman and kobe bryant i think they both have extenuating circumstances in that gary oldman was never charged he disputed it in fact he was ultimately given custody of the children who were at the center of the dispute but nevertheless at this time when people say you know believe women he was now recognized after doing something that uh, pretty terrible that he'd been accused of by his former wife. And then, you know, Kobe, we know whatever happened, happened, you know. Yeah, Kobe's the interesting one because yeah. he was actually charged and the case was dismissed because the accuser refused to testify right. and then she later settled a civil dispute with him. Right. The embrace of Kobe throughout this season during the Me Too uproar has been kind of an anomaly in my opinion. I don't know why and i think i think ultimately it just comes down to he's a great basketball player and a lot of these voters live in la they're That's big lakers it. fans yeah. and they just love him i mean you saw him at all these different events i mean at the oscars lunch and he was the star no totally and, and i think that you know not to say that if something happened before it should be excused because of this but he has by all accounts i think been a model citizen ever since whatever went down a few years ago it yeah, doesn't, who knows? doesn't... I, don't, I we don't know i was surprised of the ovation for yeah. him it was they were both very right. popular and i was wins. listening closely yes. in the room i was like okay is there going to be any hissing right is there going to be prominent people not clapping nope well i'll tell you even on saturday at the spirit awards james franco did not show up but he was nominated because the nominations came out before any of the stuff hit the fan with his situation and i think he got just as much you know, respectful applause as any of the other nominees in that category so i think we are at a moment where people are going to have to figure out how to handle these these ones that are not cut and dry like all right we know kevin spacey and people have acknowledged that they did what they were accused of essentially with the guys that dispute it to some extent i think we have yet to really figure out how to handle those situations yeah and i especially in the awards context too because you know some of these people are perennial awards yeah. people like yeah. franco gets nominated a lot mm -hmm. and you know his show is going to be up for emmys his hbo yeah. show so how is that going to play out? And he's coming back, and HBO is is it been definitely standing. been brought back? Yeah, and it, they're filming it right now, I think. And and HBO has stood by him. Mm -hmm. So there is a scale here, and, and it'll be interesting now that this award season is over. Whether this whole movement is going to carry on into future award seasons. Mm -hmm. 
another thing that I guess we should we should just close on maybe is will any of these movies actually get a box office boost because of this or or have we already moved on as a society to Black Panther and all the things from 2018? I think you'll see a little bit. I mean, most of the movies are out of theaters or on video. I think Shape of Water probably will get a little boost. It still is in some theaters. But at this point, you know, I don't think that's really where the value of the Oscar Best Picture win is. Just bragging it's, rights or prestige? No, it's home video, I think. Yeah? You know, it's, still? It's, yeah, I think so. And not not DVD sales. Yeah. I'm talking about streaming rights yeah, yeah. And, and things like that. And iTunes mm-hmm. and people. It does. It brings a lot of attention mm-hmm. to a movie that may not get it. And international as well, where a lot of these movies are still rolling out. Mm-hmm. The Oscars are pretty meaningful. And you can leverage that more for theatrical in other countries than here. And I know that the distributor behind The Shape of Water and Three Billboards, Fox Searchlight, couldn't have had a much better night. One of the best nights I've ever had, aside from, I guess, Slumdog Millionaire a decade ago. Here, they won picture, director, actress, supporting actor. Production design. Production design. Yeah, Yeah, for Shape. And it was a total of six, I believe. So we, we saw all those folks last night go to their after party, and yet they're in this weird, precarious position that we talked about the last time you were on this podcast, where I don't know if they can really fully be as happy as they probably should be because they're in the middle of a contraction of studios at the moment. Yeah, I mean, Fox was, most of Fox was bought by Disney, so the, the question of what's going to happen to Fox Searchlight is looming over everything, and it was certainly looming over the party they threw last night. I think Fox Searchlight will ultimately be okay. I think Disney is buying these assets because it wants premium content, and that's what Fox Searchlight offers. It certainly doesn't hurt them that they have now won three best pictures in five years. That's a pretty good stat to go into any negotiation. And, you know, Bob Iger was at the governor's ball and I saw him and he was looking around. I'm sure he saw the Fox tables and how they were celebrating Mm -hmm. their best picture win. And Disney was not celebrating the best picture win. So that's valuable. And, you know, these movies are profitable. Three Billboards and Shape of Water will be very profitable for Fox Searchlight. And they're profitable because of the Oscar attention and the award season in general. These are movies that would not have found the same audience without it. So you ready for Emmys? <laughs> no, no, I'm not. Let's not talk Me about neither. I know. All right. I thought you were going to ask about Best Picture next year. Oh, God, I don't even want to look at no, that. No, not even going there. All right, Matt Bellany, thanks for joining us. Thank you. And now for my conversation with Tommy Wiseau. Oh, hi, Tommy. Thank you for joining us. We really appreciate it. We always begin by asking our guests where they were born and raised and what their parents did for a living. You know, I'm American. I'm very proud of it. And I grew up in New Orleans, Louisiana, yeah. Chalmette. Yeah. So contrary to what people say online, my family, it's uh, Uncle Stanley. Actually, he passed away, believe it or not. Uh, sorry to hear that. Yeah. And I used to work for Schweigman's. That's the area of New Orleans. Yeah. And uh, then I moved to Bay Area, graduated from college, uh, do business, long story short. We don't have a time to no, struggle with my We're life. Gonna, you know what? Don't my, even... my life is crazy. No, so. well, <laughs> I, I'm going to ask you a little bit more about that. Oh, wait a minute. Let me finish sentence. Oh, please. If I okay. don't mind. So, okay. so very quickly, from New Orleans, move out to Bay Area. Yeah. I used to build a building, construction. Right. Make a lot of money. Yeah. N- not stealing, work very hard. Yeah. And decided to 
closed the business. Also, I've been in the retail business, street fashions. I want to ask you about all of this. Okay, so let's, cool. let's wait one second. Well, let me finish. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay, go so ahead. So after that, this is only 20 seconds. Okay, okay. So after that, I decided to become an actor, started on the Stat Adler teacher, which is Jean Shelton, who was, uh, her name is Jean Shelton. Yes. And uh, she actually opened for me acting. Yes. So I've been in college also, study acting, but she was the best of the best. And yes. that's happened because I was doing swimming classes. I have a swimming classes down Southern Street in San Francisco. And I saw this little sign and say, classes, acting classes. And I always been an actor, you know, I always, I used to live in France, so I used to sing, for mm -hmm. example. And I say, you know, acting is cool. I want to be an actor, you know, and that's what everything started. She opened acting for me, and then I condensed my business, moved to Los Angeles. Before that, I wrote the script. I met Greg, etc. No, it's all great, and that's I want to. I want to. <laughs> I want to ask you sorry more. Sorry to interrupt you. No, sorry to interrupt you, but I want to make sure we give more attention to each of those things. So, sure. first thing is, you know, and they talk about it in the Disaster Artist, and a lot of people right. have a hard time understanding they say you're from New Orleans but you obviously have a little bit of an accent so yeah, what do you what I do accent. how I, do you reconcile those two things you know what I don't care what people talk and how they talk what they are assuming I'm here to answer your question again I'm very proud to be American number yes. one yes. I live in Shalmet that's the fact I actually I still have my ID if I knew I'll bring my ID from New Orleans <laughs> but you see it is what it is now if you live in French Quarter for example New Orleans when you go to New Orleans, you have many different accents. So yeah. I don't know if you're familiar with Cajun, sure. French Cajun, for yeah. example. My accent has been evolved past, I think, decades because, you know, of the schooling, because of this and that. Sure. It is what it is. So, I, you know, I like my accent, actually. I do, too. Some of the girls say it's pretty sexy. I know it's true <laughs> or not. But what people, over to respond to your question, you know, I really don't care. It's just I think personally that... Some of it I call bad apples because we live in a society which I personally am pro-freedom. You can say whatever you want. Mm -hmm. But I think it's very wrong if people started bashing people, you know, they don't even know about it and assuming something instead of ask questions like you do. For example, I create the room not for me. It's supposed to be the room for America, you know, for U.S., basically. Yes. I didn't realize that I create a monster, as you probably know, we're a global sort of company slash the room. We just come back from France. We have like 2,000 people. That was the biggest screening in Europe. I was completely shocked. That's amazing. Yeah. Well, let's talk about movies and your childhood. Were you one of these kids who grew up watching a lot of movies, loving a lot of movies? Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I was watching a lot of movies, and, and I think we can learn from the movies. You know, it's the, uh, the same like when I created the room, I wanted people, I would say, if a lot of people love each other, the world would be a better place to live. So it's a message. I think all the movie that sometimes people categorize movie, okay, this is bad movie, this is good movie, etc. You always find something where you may like, you may dislike. But you see, in my case, I like when people are sincere. Right. If people talk about the room, I say, you know what, you you may hate the room. It's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. But I cannot give you guarantee. But you may have one percent. They say, you know what, maybe I don't like it, maybe maybe something good about it. That's right. that's what The Room is about. So what were the movies that you were most into as a kid? Casablanca, that was a classic, you know, Black and White. I was watching several times. Citizen Kane, Austin Wells, that was my favorite, actually. Giants, and Jane Steen. I'm in love with Cleopatra, mm -hmm. Elizabeth Taylor, which she was, I would say that she was pioneer of a 
I would say general, hopefully nobody bashing me after this interview, no, <laughs> movement of women's, right. women movement in America in a sense, if you look at the Cleopatra movie as well, her performance, I learned about that the ladies, girls, ladies, whatever you name it, mm -hmm. there's something to offer. And I would say girls or ladies, they have much more power than we guys, as you know, that sometimes in society, you don't have to wear jeans to be to be macho, you know what I'm saying? So, so I like when, Yesterday I was in the party, so I wasn't my one girl, like she was wearing like fur coat, you know, I say, wow, you know, so it's so it's spectacular, you know. Sure. So. Well, let's talk about so you come out of school, I guess, you know, you finish high school. What were your plans then? Did you go to college? Did you go to yeah, work I, right away? In Bay Area, I finished college, also business college, mm -hmm. and I opened my own business while I was in the school. So we opened a retail store, it's called Street Fashions. And this was with jeans, right? Jeans, and I was very much so working with Levi's. So I was number one, they actually called me King of Levi's, believe So how did that work? You were selling their product? Or yeah, we're yeah. selling, but we also work very closely, like some of the design, but 90% we're selling their product, yeah. but we have different ideas how to marketing and how to present it in the store. So, but ironically, you know, after a few decades, Levi's decided to change the policy and they decided to open their own stores. So, so that, that was the end of that. That yeah. was the end of the era. And yep. I think they make it, this is my view. They're a nice company, by the way. I sure. would not say negative style about them. But at the same time, mistake was made because you see the, they're not number one now. So, right. but the, the retail, you know, business, I think retail created the Levi's and I think Levi's make a huge mistake. It's the same like Calvin Klein did make a mistake, as you know, they opened stores and half of the stores were closed. So. When you were no longer selling jeans, maybe this was even at the same time, but I've read about a few other jobs you might've had. I wonder if I can ask you about. Yeah, but or, keep in mind, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but besides selling Levi's, you actually design clothes. A lot of clothes. So you had your own outlet? I have my own brand, it's yeah. called California Style. That's the first brand I have. And now I have a TommyWazzle.com. You can go to right. TommyWazzle.com, TommyWazzle clothes and design currently underwear, jeans as well. So how did you get into, why was jeans and clothes the thing that you got into? You know, I was, was attracting all the time fashion. I love fashion. Mm -hmm. And again, I like I like girls dressed up. Well, you're very fashionable. For, for our listeners, they should know you've got like a vest and a very shiny blue tie and a cool belt and chains. And I don't even know how to describe What's What's that on your wrist? How, what would you call that? Well, this is bracelet. A bracelet that yeah, kind of looks like a like a choke collar. Yeah, but this yeah. doesn't hurt. Don't worry about no, it. No, all right. I'm glad. I'm yeah. glad. And what's that on the other wrist? Yeah, this That's time a... I will give it to you when I leave. Oh, my TW. God. You can read it since we are live, whatever. Thank you. Oh, my gosh. But man. I have to give you a blessing first, so that I can give you right. I'll give you later. Thank you. Yeah. I would, that's but I'd not be honored. all of it, just one piece. Keep this in is, mind. It says, 14th anniversary of the room. Love is blind. Love, Tommy Wiseau. You're good, but be better. There you go. There you go. Thank you that's so much. That's, that's beautiful. I really appreciate it. Well, so you're doing really well with jeans and all of that. Were you also working with General Motors? Did I read that you were doing Yes, I did. Actually, I was working in General Motors a long time ago. I was a technician assembly line. That's very different than jeans. How did you get into that? Well, I just looking for a job and yeah. I find a job. That's basically it. Now, here's another job that I heard you had. I don't know if this story is, sometimes there's bullshit on the internet, yeah, you know, but. But I would tell you, yes or you'll no. Tell, yeah, I figured. So I read that while you were living in San Francisco, you worked as a street vendor by Fisherman's Wharf, and that one of the things, you sold a lot of toys and different things, one of the items was sort of like a bird toy, and you sold it very successfully, and that you got the nickname the Birdman, which in French, the word for bird, I guess, is 
Weezeau, O-I-S-E-A-U. Mm-hmm. So is that how you ended up with the name Weezeau? No, actually, but uh, your story is partially correct. Okay. That's what I started my business, uh, selling birds. So tell us about Weezo. So basically, you know, my name is Wazo. It's with W, actually. Okay. It's a little longer name, but I cut in half. And a coincidence, this is just a coincidence. Okay. And believe it or not, I don't believe coincidences. Right. I believe the destiny. Okay. So this is what's just uh, correct. You're actually correct 100%. I sell these birds that was a French birds. What right. you do, you just cranking with a rubber band inside right. and then you throw it and fly it by itself almost. Now the kicker was, so when I was flying these birds, the bird go inside a car. And people, we stopped the car. You have to do the traffic. It was right. really crazy stuff. I enjoyed this kind of stuff. I was a teenager. So this was before the jeans, before General Motors, before anything. Yeah, yeah, before everything. But your name was already Wiseau. That's correct. So it's just a coincidence. Right. This is a coincidence. Now, speaking about birds, I don't know if you know that actually I saw also yo-yos too. So it was the two items. I remember today in Chinatown in San Francisco, Mm -hmm. selling my yo-yos and and birds as well. Yeah. And then one guy come with a big limo, right? <laughs> Long story short, that one of the actors, I said, oh, it's a cool guy. He bought like, I don't know, 12 years, whatever. It, it was a famous actor. Yeah, famous. I don't want to drop the name because I'm stay away to dropping the names. You know, I'm that's not my style. Okay. So what was the order? You did the stuff at Fisherman's Wharf, like the birds first, then General Motors, then the no, jeans. No, actually General Motors before... Then you have a birds, if you want to correct orders. Yeah. Since I'm here, you know. You yeah, let's very, do it, yeah. So the birds was after General Motors and, and then the uh, yo-yos, and then was retail, so street fashion. Yeah. Then we're buildings, because I'm into construction. So I built it, So bu- you were building buildings. buildings. Steel frame buildings. You got a lot of talents. That's mm-hmm. amazing. Thank you for saying that. Yeah. So, Scott, long story short, I said to you many times on my Q&A that the, what you learn for example, in the past, and you 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 not became actor yet. Right. It's very beneficial. So my right. statement is to young actors: the more skills, the better. Right. Right. So the construction job it did help me to organize. For example, the rooms production. Mm-hmm. However, the sad story is on this uh, dilemma that I did not get a support from Hollywood as well as we have support now. But I'm I'm not upset about that. What I am sort of concerned that people who did not have experience mm-hmm. and I give them a job was very disrespectful behavior, you know, because yeah. if you look at the construction area, I never have issue with anyone. Right. And the film industry, for some reason, everybody want to have five cents. They don't understand that the producer or director, I have my own vision about the room. Right. Otherwise, we will not talk today right. about it. Continue, my yeah. God, I'm losing my brain <laughs> No, here. this is great. So you go to college. Mm-hmm. You studied psychology? Yes, I did. But I ended up in degree of a language and business. But you wanted initially, why did you? Why were you interested in psychology? Actually, I want to be a doctor, believe it or not. Yeah. But then I changed my mind because I said, you know what, I just, I want to be an actor. But the actor already started time when I started my business. But I say I'm not going to Hollywood with no money, basically, because right, right. I, I don't want to end up, you know, in the restaurant business. Right. You know? <laughs> so when did the acting start? Was there a specific thing that happened that made you say, I want to start acting? Oh, yeah. That was the time when I was going for swimming. Mm-hmm. And I saw this, I think I told you, right, that this big sign was the acting class. And that's when I met my teacher, Jean Shelton. Right. So yeah. Jean was very important early on. Right. And I remember, she actually studied under Stadler. 
Sal Adler, sure. you, you probably know. And, I, and you love Marlon Brando, and I think he started with her, right? Right. Well, the, coincidentally, you know, I'm, again, I don't believe coincidence, but I met Kramer, Kat Kramer. Yeah, I know her. Oh, you know her. Yeah. So they introduced me to her mother, and they discovered Marlon Brando, also James Dean. Right. But I was too late to meet Marlon Brando because yeah. he died, as yeah, you know. Yeah. About it. It's a sad story. But, sure. but I think he's with my fault. I think both actors... I think the pioneer of acting, yeah, and I want to be one as well. So sure. as you know, the robot is different cookie cutter from Hollywood. Definitely, so. and we're <laughs> almost we're almost gonna get to that. But I wonder, like, I read something. Was there a car accident at some point? Yeah, that, I did have a, a car accident. That was Beamer. Somebody went through a red light and hit you. Yeah, they hit me, and my car was like uh, spinning four or five times, and I was unconscious. They take me to a hospital. I had like a I call red uh, red lights, you know. Yeah. I have actually two car accidents, one in France. So that, one too, th that yeah. was drastic too because of water. So we was in the driving in the freeway. Long story yeah. short, I don't know if you know in France, like they have water like next to freeway sometimes, mm -hmm, like mm -hmm. a sort of passage. Whatever. So you went into the water. Yeah, well, the guy, he did not turn right. So right. he's supposed to turn, he goes straight. So right. we end up in the water, and it'll spin like four times, uh. and we end up upside down. So the water go little by little. And again, this thing is that the the time I have this accident, there was four girls, two guys. It was five of them. In your, in your car? It was not my car. But my, in the my, same my car my that you were in? Car. Yeah. Yeah, wow. So I said, please, God, help us, right? Because we're too young to die. I don't know if you know, but it's a movie. It's called Too Young to Die with Brad Pitt. I don't remember that. Yeah, no. it is. It, uh, no, I, I believe you. I, yeah, so yeah. it's funny because I saw this movie and just, just I said the same phrase. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. It's weird. Well, so, but the way it's been described is that one of those car accidents, maybe <laughs> both, that after that you said, you know what, I need to live my life and go after my passion. I, if I want to act... I'm going to stop the other things that I'm doing, and I'm going to focus on acting. Is that true, that after that you... Not really, because people exaggerate online, and that was the exaggeration with right. Greg's Stroh book a little bit. Again, let me stress that today. Yeah. The disaster artists, they did a very good job, yes. as well as Greg Stroh, his book. So I yes. support him fully. Yeah. Either though sometimes I have a quirky statement that some of the stuff, like, I did not hear God, did not, is, is not true homework, the scene... We did not do 67 times. I, I just stressed this today to somebody else. I'm stressed to you now. There was not 67 or 76 takes of Actually, 67. Oh, hi, Mark. Yeah, 67. No. Okay. We have a ratio from one to four. So each scene is four or five times. Otherwise, you'll be out in the business. You cannot complete no, the project. No. Obviously, a big question that has come up, and you get it a lot, I know, is that how does somebody who seems to have been a working man, working class man, you were doing all these jobs, selling toys at the wharf mm -hmm. and all this. How does somebody then go and when they decide they want to make a movie, mm -hmm. pay $6 million to get that movie made? Well, first of all, do you work? Sure. Or do you save money? I wish I could save $6 million, but... Well, no, I'm yeah. just saying, do you save money? Uh, I try. Okay, so same here. That's the answer. Uh, well, that's great. But it wasn't something like through the car accident you got no, money no, from that or something. No, that's nothing to do with the accident. Yeah. You know, we have, actually have a hard time to collect with my car. Because at the time, I have Beamer. Yeah. 325i, I believe. Yeah. And they didn't have insurance to all their party. Uh, so you couldn't even so collect. Awful. Yeah. Uh. Yeah. But speaking about money, you know, you, you save money. You know, the if you build the buildings, you know, you sell the building. You you know, I was involved in real estate, et cetera, et cetera. Right. So it's a free ride in the sense you work very hard. All this assumption about online, it's just, 
you know, my mom, she always say, be nice. Right. So to be nice is exaggeration, and I call bed apple. It doesn't call for that. You know? Well, do you know one of the theories? Maybe you can just absolutely shut this down. <laughs> There's something that's online that says yeah. people are trying to figure out, who is this mystery man, Tommy right. Wiseau? There's a theory that's out there where they think you are actually a person named D.B. Cooper, who was a man who hijacked a plane extorted a ransom and then got away with it it sounds crazy but can you just tell people that that is completely nonsense okay all right it's nothing else so they they can remove that from the theories now well they can remove completely from yes it's completely (laughs) not you know like i say monkey see monkey do right so i always say give the credit whether they do and i think in america as you know sometimes we have a tendency to exaggerate and sometimes we have a tendency to not Give the credit with the credit due. Well, so I someday give, they will. <laughs> I want to get. Well, I want to give you some credit though, right here, because I think people don't realize how much acting study you have done. And and I'm going to list the ones that I was able to find. Well, thank you. In San Francisco at the American Conservatory Theater. Yeah. Then the Vince Chase Workshop. Then the Gene mm-hmm. Shelton Acting Lab that we've talked about. Also at Laney College. Also the Stella Adler Academy of Acting. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure I'm not even listing all of them. That's very impressive. I did also here in Los Angeles in, the yeah. Stella Adler because I, I did enjoy it, the school slash workshop. So acting, I, I, this is my passion. You know, I, I said this today that I'm very dedicated to craft. You know, and I'm not scared to say that. You know, sometimes people make mistakes. I make mistakes. It's, it's nothing wrong with that. When we born, we not became actor just like that. Is like I said, the more skills you have, the better. Same writers, same you reporters. Yeah. yeah. You guys have the more skills you have, the better. Sure. All right. So if someone who's listening has not read the Disaster Artist or mm-hmm. seen the Disaster Artist, mm-hmm. can you explain to them? how you know Greg Sestero, and mm-hmm. how you met, how you became friends. We met, in, again, acting class, yeah. <laughs> and we became friends, and uh, we did the scene together, and I challenged him a little bit because he didn't have enough support from his family, but, you know, I always told him, you can, you can do whatever you want to do, you know? First of all, we live in America, number one, and number two, you know, you have to work hard to, to accomplish something. We became a very close friend. And does the movie get it right in the sense that the way it's portrayed, you guys become friends. You're talking about, oh, one day we'll go to Hollywood. He wants to do it. So you you actually had a place that you were not using in Hollywood? That's correct. I used to live here in Crescent Heights. Uh-huh. Crescent Heights in Santa Monica. Yep. And Santa Monica used to be Landmark, right? Theater. Yeah, 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 yeah. And that's yeah. why we screened the room, but it's up to you if you want to touch that. Oh, that we're going to come to it. We're gonna, uh-huh. but, but that's really interesting. That So what was it about Greg? Why did you like each other so much? I think he's very dedicated and he's cool, very honest person. Very, I always call him, he's innocent. I call him baby face because yes. people always want to attack him, girls, guys, whatever, name <laughs> it. And I always told him, I said, be careful, you know. And we became a very close friend. We talk about, he, we have the same interest. He has interest about movie. Coincidentally, again, I don't believe it. I think it's mm-hmm. destiny. He actually liked James Dean and that was our interest. Same with James, he liked James Dean. So yes. it's not just alike, I think, James Dean was pioneer of acting, and he, he has similar approach to acting like I do. I, I'm not comparing myself. That's also a false statement. I never say I, I'm James Dean. That's BS. But do you relate to James Dean? Like, it seems like James Dean had a lot of emotions building Absolutely. up inside. And he, this was his way of dealing with his emotions, acting. My acting is passion and emotion as well. Emotion by doing acting but remember, you cannot create emotion. You either have it, you don't have right. it. So good acting, I always say that it's up to audience, it's up to critic. What do you guys see it? What is good, what is bad? 
So you and Greg are living together. He goes off and he gets well, his. We are living on on and off because I have to, you know, I live also at the time San Francisco. Right, well, right. Here, but Angeles. I guess at some point while he's here in L.A., he gets his SAG card. You now, I think, wanted also obviously a SAG card. How did <laughs> you, you go get... to SAG card? <laughs> well, how did you get your SAG card? I think people love the story of the room because it's so. I did commercial. But how did those commercials come about? I promote my stores, retail stores, street fashions. And so by putting yourself in your own commercials, you could get a SAG card. Well, you, well it's not that easy because, you see, you still have to do work. Yep, so, course. again, square one, hard work. Yeah. So you have to do, uh, in this case, uh, the, you have to have a speaking part, number one. Right. And number two, you know, you have to follow the rules. Right. Do you remember the moment where you first had the idea about the room? What was going on and where were you? When I was in college as well, you know, I have tendency to write on piece of papers, like phrases. Mm -hmm. And I say, you know what, someday I want to put everything together. And I met a lot of people and, and the characters within the, you have the script right here. You can, oh yeah, you there can it look, is, the room. Look at it. That's the original, it's not the bootlegging because we have already bootlegging online. So, so you can go real. to TommyWazzle.com yes. or TheRoomMovie.com, you see original script. Beautiful. So basically, what I did about the script, I have tendency to write on a piece of paper, and I said, let me put everything together. So I created the book, it's called like 600 pages. And then I started script writing in, in college as well. And I said to myself, you know what, let me condense this to 99 pages, mm -hmm. and come out to 112, it's mm -hmm. original yeah. as you see it. Yeah. And then we come out to 119 pages. I'm very proud of my script. Yeah. Script did exist. If you look at behind the scenes, the room as well. Right. Blu-ray, you see the script. So, and so it was really, though, because that's kind of like what I've heard Woody Allen does. He'll have an idea, he puts it in a drawer, and then what he'll do is he'll just take out one of those ideas mm -hmm. and make a movie about it. But you're saying you put all of those ideas into one script. Well, it's not just the idea, like a phrases, you know, if I met someone, it's, it's sort of like real true story, you know. Right. Like I met somebody, it was very interesting. I just wrote this piece of paper, and then I said to myself, let me put everything together. I was just right. surprised. I said, guy, I have a story here. Right. So I draw some of this uh, situation, you know, for example, you know, I did not hear her. I said, I want to do like quirky thing. Mm -hmm. So a lot of people don't understand, you know, I studied language, so, you know, we don't talk this way or that way. It doesn't matter how you talk as long as you share something with the audience to help you get a reaction. That's what I studied the time when I started acting. Right. I learned that. So if somebody, again, if there's a listener who hasn't seen The Room or The mm -hmm. Disaster Artist or read it, you know, they might consider, should I go buy this movie? Can you explain what it's about? It's not a question to buy a DVD. The question is, like, you discover yourself. I would say you don't have to like The Room. Right. So the room is about you and me and everybody. You know, you, you have drugs issue, you have this issue. It's done intentionally, not by accident, not coincidence, not this way or that, but intentionally to give the red flag not to do certain stuff. If you betray your friend, it's wrong. If you do sex with your girlfriend, friend, it's wrong. You make choices, and later on you pay for it. And that's what the character Johnny, what I play in the room, yep. He paid for it big time because on the end, you know what happened. But this is a process of learning. Now, what I encourage from the beginning, I encourage people always to laugh and have fun with it, that you right. can express yourself. So when you were writing it, you're thinking this is a 
drama? This is a comedy. What would you imagine it would be? I always thought it would be drama because I'm very attracted to drama. But then later on discovered the drama also have element of comedy and the describe comedy, drama, melodrama. Melodrama is much different because you cannot, when you create a melodrama, it's exaggeration, right? right. Now, the, you have also black comedy. So I say, not you, but a lot of reporters, they go in the category of the industry. Okay, this is drama, comedy, but they figure out one element, which all this element, whatever you talk about, you actually have within each category. But we set out with the category, and and, uh, when we criticize, especially reporters, and there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, that's the format. My take is totally different. Right. Well, James Franco recently did an interview with the New York Times, and he had his theory. He said, quote, pre-room, he, meaning you, Tommy, felt he couldn't depend on anybody, and the film was him trying to wrestle with feelings of rejection he'd had his whole life, close quote. Is that accurate? Do you think that's correct? Partially, yeah, because if you talk about rejection, film industry especially, you have a lot of rejection, but guess what? I'm ready for rejection. Mm-hmm. And I say to all the actors, directors, even lawyers, mm-hmm. I was referred to lawyer yeah. because lawyers, they have something in common with acting. They always, they have certain persona. So you have to be ready. That's, that's how it is. I cannot change this. And 20 years from today, we'll not change that because right. that's what it is. There are several things that I hope we can just quickly go sure. through about the room that people mm-hmm. might wonder. Why did you decide to shoot both on film and on digital? I just want to give a message that everything is possible. Also, I want to see the difference between these two formats. Right. There's a man named Sandy Schler, who is played by Seth Rogen in the movie version Mm -hmm. of The Disaster Artist. He was the script supervisor. Mm -hmm. He has recently come out and suggested that he was really the director. Can you set the record straight about that? Absolutely. Let me tell you this way. Very simple test. We like tests, right? Yes. You know, we in America with this. I would suggest see the room yes, or yes. see the DVD or Blu-ray, take all this scene relate to San Francisco right. and love scene, let me stress that, also commit suicide, mm-hmm. and you will conclude it that you do not have the room. What this means, if the person does, did not do the job, right. the person does not deserve credit. Right. Is it correct? Sure. Okay. Think about it this way. Yes. That's number one. Number two, as you know, in the past 14 years, actually 15 years, because we have anniversary of a room, everybody's invited in June, uh, cool. June 15, and we have a regular screening in Egyptian here in Los Angeles. This will w- be the, the what anniversary? 15. 15th, wow. 15, I mean, we're in the 14, but it's almost 15, yeah. because June is right there on the corner. Yeah, you gotta, gotta wait for it, yeah. So let me respond to your question, sure. because as you know, a lot of actors, and by the way, you, did you see Disaster Artist? Of course. Okay, so yeah. do you remember the scene with James playing me, and he confront everybody. I record everything. Yeah, I, the, I know what is. Uh, I'm just paraphrasing about the behind the scenes camera crew. That, right, yeah. right. So we did exactly right on the money on the set of the room. Surprise, surprise! Only one person who support Tommy Wazza was Greg Sestero. Now I haven't talked about third party. <laughs> yeah, right, 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 right. So you see the. By the way, let me ask you this: If somebody quit, like the script supervisor, he quit. This guy, Sandy, quit. Yeah, so he quit the job. Right. So, you know, I learned from construction. If you quit the job, you don't get any credit. <laughs> if you quit the job, I'm sorry, you don't deserve the credit. And right. I have another news for you yeah. on this topic. I have advice for Sandy Sheclair or other people, right. whatever people want to have credit, some of the actors. Right. Very simple suggestion. Grab the camera, <laughs> write the script. Right. 
And you know what? I wish you luck. The right. will be better, better project with the room because I'm very proud of my, my project. Yes. And by the way, the room, everything was done with scratch. And also for this interview, I'd like to say, before we forget, yeah. I will say thank you, Hollywood Reporters, because you guys wrote pretty good overall. <laughs> and as well, the others, you know, elite here in Los Angeles, we have a great support. Right. And uh, I think that maybe people now understand me better. So I no, want to thank you for your support. It's our so, pleasure. We, sure. we think you're great. So a few other things about the sure, room. Sure, go for it. Some of these scenes are, are out of focus. That's correct. Why was that? You chose that, right? Good question. So I was involved in editing. Okay. Yeah. And some of the staff, I have a question for myself at the yeah. time. I say, okay, do we redo this or we leave it as is? Yeah. What the cost was, and I say to myself, you know what, we just let it go. Yeah, you can. And that was capo quirking, not just, uh, you have also some issue of the sound. Mm -hmm. And some of the sound, for example, ADR, that was not entire, that was incorrect statement yeah. from some other people. Yeah. So we didn't do entire movie ADR. Right. We have some issue with the sound. And again, some of the people who are hired, I guess they, some of the mistake was made. Right. Let's be nice. Meanwhile, throughout all of this, you really had the... the, the <laughs> you have a tie the, <laughs> my God. <laughs> well, you guys really were filming the behind the oh, scenes. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I have still have copy and the tape, and ironically, you know, I reviewed some of the stuff just recently and just refresh my memory. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's, it's the same story, you know. But there really were some of these guys being Let's, disrespectful. Let, let's be nice. Yeah. Extremely disrespectful, yeah. including... Sandy included the crew, included right. actors. And you know what? Some of the stuff it doesn't call for that, but it is what it is. So if you ask, that's, that's my response to your question. Yeah. So today, 15 years later, yeah. when you think back to the time that you were making The Room, yeah. do you think of it as a happy time when you felt in control, or do you feel like it was a stressful time where you were worried the thing was maybe getting away from you because people were rebelling or whatever it was. Mm -hmm. How do you think back about that time? This is a great question. I commend you for Thank it. Thank you. If I want to go back, I would do the same thing. But guess what? Slightly different, <laughs> but not too much different. What would you change? I would change, don't use the two cameras. You're wasting your money. Right. And if they promised Panasonic at the time, that's the fact, they promised your article, they were not printed, forget the whole thing. Right. But yeah. I remember very clearly the first day when we started shooting. Yeah. It's the same like you see on Disaster. That's what's laughing because I said, my God, it's almost the same. And that was a happy time. When I hired people, you know, I was very sincere. They was very sincere. Mm -hmm. But I didn't, be honest with you, I didn't realize that people are so vicious, be honest with you, yeah. between me and you. Yeah. I met a lot of people in my life, but... I'm a very simple guy, but you know, if somebody has vision, I will listen to the guy who has the vision, not argue back and forth. I mean, there was so many arguments. It's just beyond comprehension, but that was the happy time as right. well. Yeah. So finally you get to that premiere, the night that people are gonna see the movie right. for the first time. Mm -hmm. You show up in the white stretch limo with Greg, like yes, we see in we the did. movie. big time. How would you describe the response that the movie got that night? And also, was that the response that you anticipated going into that night? One of the response, what I wanted, just reaction from audience. Just any kind of... Any yeah. reaction, is, yeah. is, that's my background yeah. again. And ironically, you know, I got response what I didn't anticipate. Yeah. But just because of the Greg, I realized that you cannot discriminate the audience. Right. So I'm very strong with that. Right. And I'm very strong with, with my 
my background as a person because my mom she always say you know you have to have space mm -hmm. and you give people space so that's my you know values of my family you know so, so it didn't bother you if people were laughing no, at a moment when no. they, you didn't well i was concerned yeah. yeah because but greg encouraged me and say yeah you know you got the reaction that's what you want right. on the end of the day similar to disaster artists okay so it's again june 2003 you open the movie at the lemley theaters right. i think in fairfax and fallbrook right you put it in theaters for two weeks to qualify it for the Oscars, I believe. That's correct. And yet the first week it grossed just $1,800. That's actually incorrect statement. Incorrect? How much did it yeah. gross? Because first of all, somebody wrote some kind of article about it, but the number, they don't even know the number know. in the first place. Because but the, did it do well or did it disappoint you the first well, week? Well, it was disappointing in the sense, but I don't care about at the time because I want to just be qualified for the Oscar. That's now, why is that? The Oscars are very important to you. Like, I know I, I care a lot about the Oscars, but why did that matter to you? Well, it's not a question matter. I think that the I want to show the world that people have respect for the room, number one, right. and also we can do it in the sense to be you know part of an industry that was my intention which categories did you think it had like the strongest shot at at the oscars best picture yeah, yeah. and best actor as well yeah <laughs> <laughs> so the billboard is mm -hmm. almost as famous as the movie because for five years i oh, think thank you for that my guy you're so detailed no guys. this is the thing i mean anyone who was living in la mm -hmm. at that time remembers if the, whether or not they saw the movie mm -hmm. they remember the billboard yeah, yeah so yeah. let's just tell people again Sure. Billboard had the name of the movie Correct. and your personal phone number, right, well, on the not, billboard. It's actually business. A business st number. St still exists. It's the, that, so what was, the, what was the reason? That must have cost hundreds of thousands of dollars to have that billboard. Where was it, on Highland for five years? Over five years. Why was it worth spending that much money to have that billboard? Uh, because we got a good reaction, you know. It's supposed to be one year, but then people call us, and then we have, like, the system RSDP. Right. So they call us a number and we informed them that we have another screening. And that, that was that was a little exaggeration in the right. sense like people say the billboard does actually build generated money by people call us and they pay tickets, you know, to see the movie. Because what, what you would do is you would tell them where it was now yeah, available right. to see. When did you first start to realize that there was this interest in catching up with the movie? Maybe they didn't go the first weekend, but people were hearing about it and they wanted to see it. When did you first realize it would have that kind uh, of a life? What happened after two weeks run? We have interest. We receive the emails from the theater and say, hey, some people want to see your movie. And I was very disappointed. I say, there's no way in the world I put the, my movie in the shelf and uh, mm -hmm. I make the movie people, I wanted people to see the movie. That's bottom line. That was my vision. There's right. no question. Right. There's no way. Right. So they inform us and I call theater and they say, we don't have any available time because as you know, it's a time, it's a limited, right. everything's limited. We don't have time to talk about it. But long story short, I say, you know what? Let me just figure out the Wilshire screening room, a yeah, few yeah, blocks yeah. from you guys. Yep. We started screening there and then we got so many people. It's again, this misleading on the, on the website, yep. internet. We have so many people that we got a ticket from a fire marshal because people <laughs> was actually was sitting on the floor, etc. And the theater at the time, the manager of the theater said, hey, Tommy, you cannot do this because, you know, <laughs> parking problem. So many people show was right. crazy. It was completely nuts. So if the movie and the marketing cost people have estimated $6 million. No, well, no let me finish. Oh, I sorry, mean, sorry. I didn't realize you were. Yeah, so I didn't sorry, finish sorry, yet. Sorry, I didn't so, realize. so we got so many 
problem with that. So I called back to the theater and I say, what time do you have available? Because you say you don't have a time. And he, he said, I remember like today, say only midnight or 10 o'clock. Uh-huh. And say, Tommy, this is the worst time to see anything. Right. I say, you know what? It doesn't matter. We just take it. Right. So long story short, we started in Sunset and, and Crescent Heights yeah, yeah. and Lemney. And we, from one screen, we became 12 screens, then spread out all over. Now, let me correct something Please. which people don't realize. Throwing the spoon, I will not give the credit to anyone because this happened just coincidentally. Right. I think it was a destiny because somebody asked me, and say, can I do this? I say, you know what? You can do whatever you want. So past five years from the beginning, I attended all the screening. Right. And I always encourage people, I say, you can laugh, you can cry, you can express yourself, but please don't hurt each other. A lot of people come to me and say, are you serious? And can we actually say something here? I say, yes, you can. Because some people was very, I've been uncomfortable myself, but I didn't realize, you know, I'm just a simple guy. So I said, yeah, you can do whatever. Can That's do what it, everything yeah. starts. That's, That's your history. The movie, if, if it costs the estimates that I've seen, and maybe correct mm-hmm. it if it's wrong, but I saw like $6 million to make the movie and to promote it, right? Mm-hmm. So did it make back its money over all these years? We're in a 2018. Yep. And the answer is we're comfortable where we are. So you're happy with we how We are sold out screening, as you know, and yeah. we're very happy. Did your life change as a result of The Room before the disaster artist, before anything? A lot of people were catching up with the movie. Would you now be recognized more? Were people treating you differently? Was it helping you to get other jobs? How did it affect your life? I'll be honest with you. I, I really don't care with the staff. I care people have respect, and I think I have a respectful industry, and I think that the past two, three years, right. we're very happy, as I say to you, Hollywood reporters, yep. as well, all the magazine, yep. newspapers, they actually understand. They don't believe it's internet. <laughs> I don't want to say garbage, but it's sort of unpleasant statement. Right, Let's put right, it this way. Right. That's good words, actually. Good unpleasant words. statement. Absolutely. That's words. Yes. And I think that, you know, we're all people, you know. I, I create the room. I want people to have fun. And I think I accomplished that. So I'm very happy. What was going on in your life in the years between 2003, when the room first was shown, and the release 10 years later? of the disaster artist. Well, I got, I got divorced one time, but never about that one, <laughs> private, private, private life. Matter, yes. But I'm the same person when I was 16 years old. I feel like I'm 22 today. But you were working on other projects, you were doing yeah. other films. Well, doing Screen the Room, I've been, I created the sitcoms called The Neighbors. Yes. I was in Tim and Eric's show. I did couple commercial. I did the Samurai Cop. I did several other projects. So you were happy. I'm happy, definitely. Yeah. You know, it's just, a, you know, my take is a little different with acting and production. And I think maybe after disaster artist, it's slightly different. Right. But it's not so much different, you right. know, because I always say that people know, like, if people call me when we talk right now, yeah. they know who I am. And yeah. I'm a very respectful person because that's, that's my background, you know. Sure. You cannot demand, like... <laughs> I don't want to mention one of a director, but he, he does a lot of documentary, you know, mm-hmm. and you cannot criticize someone because you don't get something. Right, right, in right. my case, you know, I, I grew up in a family that you work for it or you try to create ambience, honest way. And that's, uh, I would say, respect equals success. Sure. So that's basically what we talk about here now. <laughs> <laughs> now, how did you find out that Greg was writing, co-authoring this book with Tom Bissell, the disaster artist, and how did you feel about it? Had you guys been in touch? 
were you happy that there was going to be this book? Well, he called me because you see, we was very close. Still, we are. So yes. again, some of his internet stuff is incorrect. Right. We always been friends, and he's my best friend. Long yes. story short. So he called me and said, I want to write this book, and I supposed to approve all this stuff, but I got only three pages. And <laughs> I said, Yeah, you can write. And then it was easy for him to grab with someone because, as you know, a lot of books been written with help someone or pre- it's a lot of process. It's slightly different to write the script. Even script right now, I notice a lot of people who got together were right. So I will always encourage you if you have somebody help you to write, that's the idea. But I think with the book, Disaster Artist by Greg Sestero, 99% is our story. So it's not so much Tom Bizzle. He just maybe helped him a little right. bit. And we're not on the same page. But you weren't upset that there would be a book about that nah, time? Yeah, I was never upset, never will be upset, except some of the fact was exaggeration a little bit. But it's a lot of stuff, the factual stuff. So. And when did you first learn that someone was going to be interested in making a movie out of that book? Because I heard things about Johnny Depp. When did you first hear they were going to turn it into a movie, and what did you think? Well, Greg, uh, you may interview Greg, but I, I cannot speak out for him. Uh, for him. Yeah. But my understanding is that Greg decided he always wanted to have a book because he thought we did, you know, this was very interesting about, because people people was bashing too much online. They don't understand, you know. I'm just a person, you know. Right. And there was some of the stuff, some of the reporters, when they talk about my life and the, bashing very openly, this very disrespectful, that's affect him. Mm-hmm. He wanted a little sort of straight down the records, number one. Right. Number two, some of the stuff was very quirky, it was funny, you know, and we have the, the, our own stuff to communicate, you know, like about his mother, for example. Right. Like, I remember when I was going to Los Angeles, she was so concerned, you know, <laughs> that she would get killed or whatever, right. so ridiculous stuff. But she's a very nice person. So, so he asked me for it. I said, yeah, sure, I'll give you my blessing. But I supposed to review everything, but I got only a couple pages. But then again, I told him, I say, I give you freedom if that's what you want. Because again, you know, I'm grown in this kind of environment that you can say whatever you want as long as you have respect. So when these guys decide to turn it into a movie, and you've got these two screenwriters, Weber okay, and Newstead. Okay, no, 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 that's not happened. That's we didn't know yet. So let's go back. Okay. The back is that. Greg got the agent, the same agent what I got. Yeah. Uh, long story short, again, they want to sell the book. Yep. And the, they have several interests. And I would say that was a come out with a question from through the agent, who can play me? And I say, I think Johnny Depp, because I met him a long time ago, and just very briefly. And I think he's a good actor. Did you meet him at something for the room? Is no, he, no, no, it's nothing to do yeah, with the yeah, room. Yeah. Uh, just a one of the party. Yeah. But long story short, again, you know, James Franco, his team, want to for some reason option the book. My understanding is, you may ask James Franco, but yeah. he read the book. He got in love with with the book. He didn't know about the room. Mm-hmm. Then we have a conversation with James. You know, we've been the same page because of James Dean. But long story short, again, I say Johnny Depp, and the Greg say, well, what about James? Maybe he want to uh, play you. And I didn't realize till after a while that James actually wanted actually maybe play me from the beginning. But you yeah. have to verify with James because I don't no, know. No, I, I did. We had James on this podcast, oh, okay. and he was saying that it was funny because when you were talking to him, I guess you said, I like some of your movies, some of them not so much. That's correct. Right? So you yeah. were you were not gonna let him just just 
like sometimes people when they hear there's interest from a movie star to to turn their book into a movie or whatever, mm-hmm. people are just so excited they will do anything. You were a tough critic, right? <laughs> well, I just I told him, uh, you know, paraphrase right now, but you're correct. I say sometimes you do well, sometimes you don't, and some of the stuff doesn't make sense. But I like the movie. It's called Sunny. That's what I told him at the time when we had a conversation. Mm-hmm. We shot New Orleans, Louisiana, which is very. It's a love for me, actually, right. story. Right. I think it's a very good movie, directed by the Nicolas Cage, right? Right. I think they did a good job. And he doesn't see that way, but I see because you have a lot, you know, elements. Right. What I always say about elements, otherwise you don't have the movie, you don't have certain elements. So, so I really enjoyed this movie. I say, yeah, if you want to do it, it's fine. I'll give you a blessing. And did he then want to spend time with you? Did you guys hang out a lot? How did he get to know what he you were? He's in the screening of the yeah. room. We give him a lot of information. Uh, you know, he he has so many access. He got the access to to the secret tape. I don't know if you heard uh, about it. Oh, no, I didn't. Yeah. What's the secret tape? Well, because I have tendency to record myself, and Greg got this tape, and he gave it to him. <laughs> so with your for, permission. Without my permission. Without your permission. <laughs> yeah. But I, I say it's okay on the end. Right. He's not supposed to say it, but he did say it. He did. So... So now, once they start rolling cameras here and they're making the disaster artist, mm-hmm. were you on set? Were I you- wasn't set because they did my scene, as you know. That was the part of yes. the agreement. Yes, that's which right. I'm very proud of it. And you insisted that you be in a cameo with James in the same scene, right? That's correct. Which was a challenge, so they had to do it at the end. It would have ne- not made sense necessarily. Well, it's all depend on vision and the uh, script writing. It's right. up to the director. So if he decided that's his choice, I would do differently, but that's what he wants. Were you there when they were recreating some of these scenes from the room? It's amazing how much they get it exactly the way it was. So I wonder for you, if you were there, what that would have been well, like. Well, for, well, I was there, you know, for my scene, and I think they've been very professional Number one, number two, everything was pretty good organized. I was very surprised, actually. I didn't know they used only one camera at the time when I was doing the, my scene. Yeah. So I think he's a good actor, and I just accordingly, I don't know, did you like the scene or no? I loved it. I loved <laughs> it, absolutely. Now, I wonder what you thought when the first time you saw... So let, there's been a few major screenings of The Disaster Artist. There yeah. was South by Southwest. People yeah, went I, I crazy for you. I they were there. very happy to see mm-hmm. you. Then there was the... Hollywood premiere at the Chinese Theater, where, you know, James was 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 saying, yes, of course, and he was saying, he introduced it using your same words that you had introduced the movie with 14 years earlier, this my movie, this my life, be cool. Mm -hmm. There were some festivals, I think, as well. What was the first time you saw the movie, and what was your... That was the first time in Austin, Texas. In Austin. What Mm -hmm. was that like? Well, I just, you know, again, I told them that I approved 99% based on what I saw it, but they mixed up with the statement because I said lighting. I didn't say the lighting pressure was wrong. Right. I say, let me think about it. I mean, I have to digest this stuff, what I see, right, because right. that was the first time. Right. They offered me to see here in Los Angeles. I say, I'm not, I, I don't like to see by myself Yeah. because, the, you know, I have a reason. I mean, you know, I like to see the reaction as well. Right. Was it emotional, though, for you to see It them? was emotional. Yeah. yeah, Greg almost crying, as far as I see it. If you see the clip from the festival, mm-hmm. so, oh, maybe that was Toronto, I don't know. One well, of what, the was, what was it that was emotional for you, though? Was it seeing that people now were looking at you in a more appreciative way, or what was it? Not this, it's just the actors relate to actors and crew mostly, not so much press, because I think that we all have to do our sort of share of work and I think that the people appreciate more now. But the emotion was for me like the, the scene, as I mentioned before, 
that he, the James confront the the crew of, that he record, he will not, in, uh, you know, again, it was not called for that, you know. It's it brought not, back some memories. Yeah, because, you know, it's, it's like, uh, I say, parody equal stealing. That's what my new thing for 2018, <laughs> because it's nothing wrong. Again, everybody hopefully listen. It's nothing wrong than you want to use one, two minutes of the room, for example, for some kind of reference. Right. And you ask the creator of the room or Panama picture about of a project. Right. And it is wrong that you're just stealing stuff and say, hey, I do parody, whatever I wanted. Plus, you damage the, the original material because each time you download from DVD, it's not the same. So the emotional about the scene that is leaked to other stuff that we, the the James present this scene. I didn't see this scene. I saw the script. By the way, I did correct the script. You did. There were some little things. Yeah, that was a lot of stuff. And I gave him my my notes. So I was right. working like three, four days to correct that. Right. But some of it did use it. Some of they didn't. But this particular scene is sort of a reflection, you know, of the room. Right. Because for me, it was. I mean, I don't understand, you know, why people so. Gotcha. Disrespectful. <laughs> so these <laughs> these last things are just very the first thing that comes to your mind. Just kind of we call it like big picture, rapid fire. Just the no first problem. Thing. Yes. So it'll be fun. Golden Globes night. We love it. It was great. You because James goes it. up and wins. You go up. What did you want to say? First, I would say the American dream is alive, and uh, if a lot of people love each other, the world will be a better place to live. I'm American. I'm very proud of it. See the room. Have fun. Have you kept in touch with the other people who worked on the room? Except Greg, because we're not on the same page. Like I say, I grew up with a family you need respect. I think I have more respect for reporters and for the crew. And the act- but let me tell you, let me so stress this. You're saying that- Wait a minute, yeah, let yeah, me yeah, finish. Yeah, yeah. But don't interrupt me. <laughs> okay. I'm sorry. Okay, okay, okay. But let me finish. They did a good job. So yeah. Because you see, I hire these people based on the, my vision, how I want to present the world, right. the topic about drugs, topic about betrayal, etc. Right. And I think overall, if you look at big picture, people did a very good job. Either though, we changed the crew four times. Oh, I didn't realize it was that many times. Yes, that's So what you're times. saying, though, I just so I understand, that aside from Greg, mm-hmm. you're not really in touch with too many Well, other we people. talk sometimes because yeah. sometimes they show up for the screen. They're always welcome. Yes. And uh, Juliet, she was attending a couple of times for a Halloween party, whatever. She's right. very, like I say, you know, people are people. And what else do you want me to say? I mean. How about... James, have you guys kept in touch since the movie? Well, you know, we, we saw each other. I mean, I'm very busy with a new project it's called Best Friend. I don't know if you heard That's about it. That's what we're coming to next. <laughs> That's the next thing. And then we, we, I think that everybody should see Disaster Artists. At the same time, they should maybe see The Room. Or mm-hmm. I always encourage people to see in the theater environment, but it's up to them. So. so 15 years after The Room, you and Greg are getting back together in another movie. This is what you just mentioned, Best Friends. I know it has the brackets around the R, so mm-hmm. I guess it's like almost best fiends. That's what cut. people are saying. Um, thank you for saying this yeah. because, because that's what the little story you want to hear. Sure. About this are. Yeah. So Greg talked to me because they changed a couple of times. He changed his PR work, whatever. And somebody said, don't put an R because it will be difficult to put on the books, you know, like the references. Or uh-huh. they, I say, no, 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 no. I told him, I say, no, no, no. Just <laughs> go with your thing because right. he want to have... You know, the R come out, it's nothing to do with Chris R. 
He just wanted to put something different, something right. special. Right. And then you're right. People people started it pronounced differently, but actually it's best friends. You know what it reminds me of with the movie Seven? They write the title is S E number seven E. Yes, yes, so something yes. a little different. Yeah, yes, be, but, but it works pretty well. Yeah, it's cool. Yeah, people get used to that. And what's it about? So that people know why? What should they get excited to go it's see? It's about best friend. You know, like you know, I don't want to pitch in Greg's throw a book, but I think it's 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 relationship between business between the the deaf people the gold and you have a lot of different elements you have to see it and then we yeah. talk about All right. this and, <laughs> and so what's what's life like today and what are your plans i know that i had read at different interviews over the years you've sure. talked about maybe there will be a sequel to the room maybe there will be the room as a musical on broadway the music will be first you, that's gonna happen yeah because we want to do on broadway not off broadway you know that yeah of course right. i cover so, broadway and yeah. i think we can change so keep in mind original yeah what i wrote the, the room was based on the stage so we actually before we did everything here yeah. in hollywood yeah actually i approached a couple of theaters yeah but I discovered that the number of people in America go to the theater, it's a tiny little tiny, thing. Yeah. So it doesn't work so well. But it will be cool to see it on the stage. Yeah, yeah, but it? definitely now we're ready. So I think we probably do on stage. Would uh, you be in it? Absolutely. Can you sing? Yeah, I can sing. But guess what? L- let me give you a little surprise. Please. AFI in yeah. Washington, yeah. D.C., we actually put the room on the stage. You did it before? Y- yes, we did. How so was it? That's a, well, it was pretty good, but keep in mind that we actually transfer cinema into stage. That's amazing. Yeah, so so it was really fun to do it, but it was extremely difficult because, you know, they don't have a, you know, you don't have a wardrobe. It's a lot of different stuff yeah, going on sure. that you, you don't have access to your wardrobe, for example. It, it's a limited, but we've done yeah. it, and it works pretty it's well. very exciting. Yeah. Last two. First, mm-hmm. when aspiring filmmakers ask you for advice, what do you tell them? I would just say a respect into success. Yeah. And lastly, what, in your expert opinion, is the best movie of all time and the worst movie of all time? I will not answer this question because I, I would tell you, I said this before, all the movies always will offer something for the viewers to check something home, either positive or negative. You may hate, you may not. And this question, maybe your critique can answer, not me. (laughs) Well, thank you so much. It's really been special to have you on. I appreciate it. Same here. I appreciate all the fans of the room and press. And thank you for supporting the room. And uh, we see you next time. Awesome. Thanks. Thank you. Thanks very much for tuning in to Awards Chatter. We really appreciate you taking the time to do that and would really appreciate you taking a minute more to subscribe to our podcast for free on iTunes or your podcast app and to leave us a rating as well. If you have any questions, comments, or concerns, you can reach me via Twitter at twitter.com slash Scott Feinberg. And you can follow all of my coverage between episodes at thr.com slash the race. Until next time, thanks for joining us. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Step into the world of power, loyalty, 
and luck. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you wanna get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.